Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the WorkLife Podcast. This is your host, Agnes. And today I have a very special guest joining me from Vilnius in Lithuania. And this is Mira Panerji. Hi, Mira. Hello. Mira is the head of knowledge management and communications at AIGE, the European Institute for Gender Equality. And we will discuss a little bit later what this is. The AIGE is an EU agency, so one of the agencies in the European Union, with a task to support the European institutions and also EU member states in advancing gender equality. Mira has a long career in international communications in various fields. Before joining AIGE, she has worked for various international organizations. This included the United Nations Refugee Agency, the Nordic Council of Ministers, and also the European Chemicals Agency. And beside that, she also worked as a journalist in Finland and very interested in scientific and specific topics that we'll also discuss. So before we go into all of that, um, may I ask you, Mira, to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, your passion, your career, and also your current role at, at AIGE. Yes, sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm here at AIGE now for two and a half years. I come from Finland, which is my home country and my country of nationality. But as some of you might have noticed, I also have an Indian name. So part of my family comes from, from India. Both of these countries have, a very, have had a very strong influence in, in how I see gender equality. Finland is, is one of the, the top countries in terms of how gender equality is kind of taken in through the, all the politics and policies. And, and, and still there are issues also, also in this country. Uh, I've also been spent quite a bit of time in India and also in the Middle East, where I've lived for almost 10 years which has lots of really great, talented women, strong women. I'm not saying that they don't have also good rights and, and strong positions, but their reality is very different than those, those women who were born in Finland and live their life there. So, so this has all given me a lot of perspective in terms of, uh, of gender equality. I come myself, I come from, from a female family. So I have three sisters. We've been four strong girls in our family. Also, also given, given me a, a good example and, and a good background for building up a strong belief that, uh, that girls are, 
have equally strong position in the society as, as boys. And uh, myself, I have I am mother of, of two children, a girl and a boy, uh, which has been an interesting learning for me since I've always only had girls around me. So now I've had both a girl and a boy. And it has also helped me to reflect on how you need to be a good mother, a caring mother for both of them, but in a little bit different way. No, that's great. As, as a mom of two boys, I can also <laughs> tell you that my passion for equality in all senses and also gender equality has really marked, I think, my uh, parenting, even though I failed on pottery and other <laughs> classes. <laughs> <laughs> But I had actually a son who wanted to play with the dolls and a girl who wanted to play with cars. So that's, uh, that's where we, we came from. That's great. Now, maybe I, if I could ask you to tell listeners a little bit about EGE, because I think uh, some of the listeners from Europe may be familiar with the European institutions and the European Commission, maybe, which is a kind of a government of the European member states altogether which is working with a number of different actors who can do research and support with knowledge. And EGE is one of them. So please, uh, Mira, just tell a little bit about what its role and when it was set up and, and what EGE is working on. Yes. So EGE has been here now for seven years. So we are a relatively new agency. And the reason for EGE to be established was, uh, was to support the policymakers in the European Union institutions, but also in the member states in making policies uh, which consider the gender perspective. And what is really important is that the gender perspective is considered based on, on research. So, so the decisions taken are evidence-based. And this is where, where then EGE came into the picture and, and uh, the agency was established to collect comparable data from the member states so that whoever, whichever country is facing a gender-related situation, they can compare their performance with, uh, with other EU countries. In addition to doing that, we, we also help and try and inspire other countries to learn from each other so that not, not the same same issues don't need to be invented all, all over again. So we do, for example, collect good practices from countries, which would then serve as, a, as an inspiration to other countries who are dealing with similar problems. We are a research institute. Uh, that's what we do. We, we produce researches and um, uh, studies, uh, collect data. But our research is policy-driven. So we do our studies on areas where there is a need to get uh, evidence to support the decision-making. We also have a very important international role uh, where the countries around the world signed up to what is called the Beijing Platform for Action, where 12 areas, critical areas, were identified where that gender equality has, a, has an important role. And, uh, and EGE was tasked to monitor the development in Europe within the European countries in terms of making advancements on, on these 12 critical areas. So every year, once or twice a year, the presidency country, the country who is holding the presidency of the European Union that year, can pick one of those areas and say that we want to see how Europe is doing in this specific critical area. And, and then EGE would, would conduct a study to support that, that monitoring. So this is an important phase. And, and for example, this report that you were referring to uh, when we started on women in, in ICT sector, this is part of the Beijing Platform for Action monitoring reports. Now, I would also encourage uh, listeners to go on the AK website because it has a really a wealth of information very from very, very practical good practices 
to the more detailed, longer studies. And also it has a glossary. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you in this conversation is about one of the terms uh, or, or constructs, which is called gender blindness. And I think that's a very interesting notion. And I wanted to ask you if you can explain a little bit what it is and, and how it translates to policymaking and even everyday life. Yeah, gender blindness is, is one of those uh, bit less frequently used terms, but it's a very important concept to understand. And what we mean with general gender blindness is that when policies are made or strategies are drawn, they are based on facts and understandings that both men and women have exactly the same needs, which is not the case. Uh, it can be gender blindness, it can be age blindness, but it's quite often we can see very clear tendencies in, in the differences on how, how the reality of women and men are in, in everyday life. To take this into something a little bit more practical, and this is a very kind of everyday local of our situation where, where the towns up here in the north doesn't apply to the southern countries, but up here in the north, when the winter comes and, and the snow showers can actually come pretty quickly overnight, you can have uh, half a meter of snow on the roads, which is a problem. And in order to mobilize all the machinery to take care of this snow, the cities draw up a priority list on, on which streets are plowed first and, and which then later on. And the priority is based on the streets which are most used by cars, which makes sense. The thing that it's not considered is that actually it's men who would drive the cars mostly, the majority, and it would be women who would be then taking their children to, to daycare, for example, and, and trying to push the prams through the smaller streets, which are, are not plowed, and also on the pedestrian areas, which, which are also later on in the priority list. So this is, for example, this is an example of how this, this strategy can be gender blind. This concept of gender blindness, if uh, if I'm correct, can be used by governments. It can be understood and used by workplaces as well, right? To maybe get more conscious about how any policy or measure affects men or women differently. Yes, exactly, and 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 it can, like in this is now plowing ex, uh, example, it can be related to something really everyday life, or it can be quite general. For example, in how and where the the bus stops are placed, are they close to kindergartens, are they close to, to shops, are they close to schools or are they more close to, to the working places, stops and uh, depending on, on which user, users you are considering. On a recent visit to Germany, I started noticing that parking houses, uh, underground park garages, they now have specific uh, spaces uh, allocated to women which are very close to the to the to the entrance and very close and i think that's probably one of these uh, results of this right yeah that's right i haven't seen those that's great to hear but but what what i've seen uh, more and more recently are these family parking places so so this would be also a parking square which is bigger larger wider than, than the regular ones which then gives more space to unload the children from the back seats and, and, and also closer to the entrance this is a very good development and then there is another example which is um, then not considering the roles of the women and men is what we can often see in the for example swimming pools or or even restaurants and the 
babies uh, changing tables tend to be always located in the in the women's sections instead of men's sections and and actually i think i saw just quite recently a research saying that in the swimming pools actually there are more men coming with their babies to swim than women and and they basically have no place to to care for their babies when they are in the swimming pool so so this is another maybe to the other direction on the impacts of of gender blindness in in policies (laughs) so looking at the issue of bias and and stereotypes. This year, as you mentioned, because of the Beijing platform and also because of some of these EU developments, Ege is also focusing quite a lot on work-life balance. And in particular, one of the areas uh, with a more specific focus this time is the ICT sector. On the one hand, uh, how women can be more motivated and also encouraged and also supported by going into the field of ICT itself, and also how ICT companies can attract and retain more women. And I'm very proud and happy to say that we also contributed partly to this work with with a study on good practices. Can you maybe, before we go more further, can you tell a little bit more also about what are some of these barriers that you have identified that, that are still there? I think the biggest barrier in in the ICT sector are still the stereotypes. And that starts from the segregation of uh, studying the study fields in in most EU countries. And the stereotypes start from from early ages, from schools, from homes, from that gives the children then already the model that that ICT, that's a kind of a boy's area. And that's where, where the problem starts. And we've done quite a bit of work in understanding the importance of breaking these stereotypes. We've, we've looked at different education systems. We've looked at, at how it works out in the in the labor market, in the in the career choices, and and all that. And and often we can see that that even women who then study ICT, they would then end up into other areas than than working in the ICT sector. This is a little bit tricky to to see from the statistics because if if the women, for example, then end up as teachers of ICT, they might not show in the statistics as, as employers in the ICT sector, even though they would indirectly still be working, working with it. But but for sure, these uh, these stereotypes are, are one of the one of the challenges. Another challenge that we can see, and this is also, I mean, everything is so interlinked that that uh, when we talk about ICT sector, it also links to many other things in in the society. But one one thing that we also very clearly see as a specific. Um, requirement in ICT sector is that that it requires continuous upscaling of skills, which means taking courses, taking further education, studying after working hours, which which is a a bigger challenge for women and men. Because then again, in, in in our other studies, we can see that women still carry a lot more responsibility for the house care, for for caring of the children, elderly. So that gives them women less possibilities for taking on these extra Task. Then on the other hand, on, on the positive side, we can also see that, that the ICT as a sector uh, is rather advanced in terms of uh, providing diverse and, and dynamic opportunities. And uh, it is um, quite flexible in terms of, of working time arrangements and offer, offering promotions. So from that perspective, it's, we see a lot of potential there. So we, with some changes in, in attitudes, I think that would um, probably be the way to go in the future. Yes, I mean, that's also what we have found while collecting the good practices that, uh, you know, the ICT sector is one of the sectors that 
is the easiest to apply a really a whole range of work-life balance measures from flexible working to parental leave to uh, teleworking but that it was mainly the also the the very masculine culture and overwork culture of the sector that was both perceived by women in terms of not wanting to enter this very masculine competitive sector, but also once they were in the companies, they have really, really experienced that. And that's why, you know, for me, this link between this gender blindness is is so interesting to also maybe apply, maybe a, a male ICT CEO does not necessarily understand what it might be for a woman to work in his company, you know, creating the whole culture and environment around around the programmers and, and a lot of ma- men. Yes, that's right. Uh, that's a long culture as well in the ICT sector since it has be- it's been so male culture. So all the, the recreation possibilities they offer and, and uh, indeed the working long working hours and, and all that, that's, that's kind of built on already from the, from the realities of, of the male, men employees. One of the other flagship kind of initiatives, projects that AGE is doing is the AGE Gender Equality Index, which is kind of a, a regular update on all kinds of available statistics that's being aggregated into specific themes and topics, for example, women's participation in decision-making or power, then the caring aspect and even work-life balance. Now, from the last uh, gender equality index, what do you discern? Because there are so many different articles, for example, from the World Economic Forum that says that now we've even you know, fallen behind. It will take us even longer to achieve equality, whereas others are saying we're on the right track and, and we're gaining territory and equality. So all in all, what would you say is is what we have learned from these previous years about the evolution of, of gender equality in Europe? Well, when we, we launched our latest gender equality index uh, 2017 in October, last October, we, we used the picture of two snails on a running path, <laughs> on a run, running stadium. This is more or less a picture of gender equality. There is a lot of space, there is a lot of things happening, but that pace is very, very slow. So we call it the snail's pace. That's how the progress is going. Now, in this index, 2017 index, we considered or we, we saw the trends from, from 10 years ago. So we could see what's actually happened during the past 10 years. There are some improvements. There are some areas where we are kind of on a standstill. And there are some areas where we're actually going backwards in the development. Considering all the efforts and, and all the policies and, and all the work being done for gender equality, it's of course a little bit worrying that, that the progress is, is very slow, almost almost non-existent. And which are maybe some of the areas that have been mostly improved? What has been mostly improved is the sector of power and decision-making. It has improved by 10 percentage points from 10 years ago. At the same time, it is still the lowest of all the scores. So we are still not even halfway uh, to gender equality in the, in the area of power. But it's still somehow it's a positive message because the improvements has ma- have mainly been in the private sector and uh, in, the, in the policy. So we can see that actually this political and public pressure can work and it can, it can lead to changes. And it has, uh, we can see that, that in the private company boards, women are much more represented now than they were 10 years ago. So we do see promising trend, but, but it would still need to improve 
greatly in order to really reach that the level that that uh, should be expected in the European Union. Now, before we go to the the last question, where I will ask you which are these areas, would you mind telling uh, listeners where they can find out more about Ege and Ege's work? Yes, you would absolutely want to go to our website, which is uh, ege.europa.eu. So there you would find information from, from all these different areas that, that we are working on. You would also want to subscribe to our monthly newsletter, which you can do from the front page of our website. Then you would get uh, your our updates from our news projects to your inbox every month. And you can also follow us on, on Facebook, Twitter and, and LinkedIn. So coming to the last question of the work-life podcast, uh, we usually always ask the same question about giving an advice to either a CEO or another relevant uh, actor. But here I would like to ask you, Mira, what in your view is one of the most pressing issues in terms of gender inequalities? What is where we have no more tolerance and action should really be focused on? In this context, I would definitely say that the one thing that we should address now very urgently is gender-based violence. There's been a lot of talk this year about sexual harassment and Me Too campaign and, and around that. And this is an issue which addresses both women in the working places where sex- sexual harassment could absolutely not be tolerated and also in homes and in societies where gender-based violence is still a taboo, it's not discussed, and women feel uncomfortable reporting it. This is something where, which we are working on very intensively now with all the EU member states, also to improve the reporting and getting a full picture of what is actually is the situation, what are the challenges, and how could gender-based violence be stopped and uh, reduced in the society. Because this is something that it's causing a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and also a lot of cost to the societies. This is money that could be spent much better if the gender-based violence would not exist in our societies. If there is one thing that we should tackle, then that's it, because that's really ultimately that both a cause and consequence of, of gender inequality in the society. Absolutely. And, and I think that society and women and also quite a lot of policymakers have been now uh, wakened up to this issue and also employers. I'm trying to be optimistic and, and say that there is finally something happening mainstream and not just the specialist agencies or the specialist NGOs, but it's out there, it's out there on social media. Many women have now felt comfortable, more comfortable coming forward. Uh, The importance now is to keep momentum going and make sure that it really penetrates all levels of society and workplaces and, and families as well. So thank you very much, uh, Mira, for taking the time and joining me on this podcast today. 